verse 2, if you've got some notes, they are highly recommended. And I'm not talking 50%, I'm talking 100%. Take some notes. Do you notice that sometimes, even in the scriptures, when the word of the Lord came to the prophet, have you ever, when it reads that, it says, on the sixth day of the fourth month in the year of X, whilst I was sitting under a tree, the word of the Lord came to me saying, write this down. That's how the Lord speaks to you often. And he wants you to write it down, and he tells you why, so you can run with it, so you don't forget. So I would highly encourage you to get your notes and bring them, and bring them along. It's confusing. Okay, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Today I want to look at one of the absolute essential requirements for you and those you love to grow in their Christian faith. Now, the Bible is absolutely foundational, and God uses it in a sort of transforming way. And what I'm going to suggest to you today on the authority of God's Word is it is impossible for you to grow without a regular intake of God's Word. It is, you, we are deluding ourselves if we think of that. And what I'd like you to do this morning is I'd like you to have a listen to this video, which is coming up right now. Our lives rush past. We've become fixated on digital equipment that's robbing us of time. Uh, people say today they've no time. They've loads of time. If you want to know how much time you've got, just ask yourself a simple question. How much time have I spent in the last week fiddling with a piece of digital equipment and doing things that have no relevance whatsoever to my profession or my life? And then say, have I got any time? We're robbing ourselves of the most important thing in life for Christians, and that is seeking fellowship with God through His Word. You will never make any impact on this world by reading the Bible for five minutes before you jump into bed. And I'm brutally practical. You husbands will never make any impact on the world if you're not praying with your wives and leading your families spiritually. You just won't. It's not possible to develop a deep relationship within a family that is not triangular. That is, it doesn't include Jesus Christ at one corner. And we can seek to repent of these things and really begin to make time so that, in that sense, we get to know God. I used to think that science and all of these arguments were much more interesting than the Bible. And I discussed it with my mentor, David Gooding, and he said, would you like to do a Bible study? And he invited me to do one. One night transformed my life, completely, in Cambridge, where I, for the very first time, I met a person that took scripture seriously and just stood with it. We put it up on reverse wallpaper, pinned up to a wall, and he entered a, a dialogue with Matthew. And it was just mind blowing how he began to open the treasures of scripture. But it takes input and work. 
Many of you people are professional. Think of the work you have to do to get to where you are. Now, if God has given you that kind of mind, how much of it are you using on him? Mm -hmm. And what worries me, silly, is people who rise in their professional career like that, but their knowledge of scripture remains on a basic baby Sunday school level. So the moment their peers raise any questions, they instantly detect they've not thought it through. And that silences them, often forever, sadly. So it's, it's a clarion call, and I think it is a way of pushing against this tide of mediocrity where we don't take God's word seriously. So what that tells me, what I find it in my own heart, is I don't really love God. All this talk about going to heaven and going to meet with Christ, if that happened to you now, what would you say to him? What would you talk about? It is very serious stuff. C.S. Lewis says all the leaves of the New Testament rustle with an expectation of eternity. Mm -hmm. And if we never sense that, the word of God is given to us to make eternal things real. And we need to spend time immersed in it, perfectly reading it with other people and alone. I had a very close friend at Cambridge. And years ago, we agreed that Whoever died first, the other remaining person would preach at the funeral. He thought I would die first because I was quite a bit older. But I'll never forget the day when he called me and with tears in his eyes and said, I've got a tumor as big as a grapefruit in here. And that's going to be it. You have to take my funeral. I said to him, what shall I say? Without hesitation, he said this. He said, tell him to do what we did as students in Cambridge. To pour over the word of God prayerfully and wait on God until his face appears. And he added then, he said, and then they will have something to say. Do you want something to say? You're a pastor, teacher, Sunday school. If you want something to say, there is no shortcut. And I never forget those essentially last words to the world, and I've repeated them many times. That was what transformed me. It wasn't reading all the philosophy in the world, although I love it and find it interesting. And it's a way of building bridges and dealing with difficulties. But in the end, unless God is real through his word, we're missing the simple fellowship that he offers us. So thank you very much and God bless you all. Some sobering words from Professor John Lennox. Every now and again in our lives, we need to be sobered up. The Guinness Book of Records, to this day, says that the world's best-selling book, about five billion copies since 1815, it's the world's best-selling 
Yet so many in the world are ignorant of its contents. Even some Christians say, I read the Bible. They miss the brackets from time to time. And I want to get more out of it. So today, I want to look at three attitudes and actions that we need to possess to allow the Spirit to work through His Word to transform us, to change us, to get us unstuck. First Peter 2 2. First verse on your outline and in your Bible. Like newborn babes, desire. Desire. You might want to circle that word. Desire. Desire is really important. See, you can have a relationship without desire. Desire. The sincere milk of the wood that you may grow thereby. Without that desire, you will not grow. One characteristic of all the children and grandchildren that we have is they want to grow up. Some a little faster than they should. But here's the point. God wants every single Christian to grow. Healthy babies need food to grow. And the Bible, as the word of God, is our spiritual food. Remember in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, when Jesus was, after the baptism, he went out to the desert, the Judean desert, a tough, harsh place. And there the enemy fought with him and tried to tempt him in many ways. But notice this verse in Matthew 4, 4. But he, Jesus answered, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, the stuff you stick in your stomach, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus affirms the inerrant word of God as he's quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 8. verse. Notice he was quoting. Jesus, we're going to get to that a little later on. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, um, 3. So the first key, I want, if I want, if I desire to become more like Jesus, to be transformed and sanctified by his spirit and the word, is I first of all, first point, I must accept its authority. I must, not equ no equivocation, I must accept its ultimate authority. See, my attitude makes a dramatic difference. And that's the reason why believers get more out of the Bible than unbelievers. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, it says, We also thank God continually. Why? Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. So you received it and you accepted it. Not as just mere words of men, as some versions say there, but actually as it is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe at work. Now notice that the Bible there claims to be God's word, so I accept its authority. And the key issue is this, what will be the authority in my life? Because everyone has an authority, whether you realize it or not. It's what you base your decisions on, your choices on. And the Bible says, the Bible is an authority for Christians. Now, one of the reasons that there is so much confusion in the world today is that people are asking this question, who's right? Who's right? They're listening to conflicting authorities. Let's take, oh, I don't know, let's say medicine, for example. 
lots of conflicting ideas of who's right here. Finance and, of course, politics. Who's right? And by the way, who says so? There are folks who try to say, and I'm sure you've heard them, there is no absolute right or wrong. Has anybody heard that? Can I hear that? Okay. What should you say when somebody says that? Are you absolutely sure? Which is a self-defeating argument. Now, there are four unreliable sources that I've observed that people use today in this world instead of Scripture. Four very unreliable sources. The first one is culture. And culture basically is, well, you know, everybody's doing that. Have you heard that? I sure have. Everybody's doing it. So what? Typically what happens now, we take a poll, and if it seems good to everybody, we do, well, this is how we set policy. This is how we, this is how we roll. This is how we behave. Everybody's doing it. Well, actually, the scriptures say exactly the opposite to that. That's a flawed authority. The Bible says in Exodus 23, verse 2, it says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Of course, what you have to know is how do you define wrong and right? Well, we, they ground wrong and right on what society says, what culture says. We don't ever do that. We ground what's right and what's wrong in the character of God, which never changes. What I say to some of my friends, if there was a God, what he says is right is right, and what he says is wrong is wrong. Would you agree? And of course, they say, well, if there was one, of course. That's how we ground right and wrong. And by the way, it never changes with God. That's why you can build your house upon that. You can take that to the bank. Scripture shows, here's the point though, that the majority are often wrong. Remember that. Get used to that fact. Get used to being on the outside. A different people, a peculiar people, because you're called by a different name to follow the kingdom, not the world. The second faulty authority is tradition. I've heard this come from even Christians. Well, we've always done it that way. Or this is how we did it at our last church. Or this is how we've done it before. And it's a very unreliable way, and the scriptures talk about that. Or this is how I like it. It's not about how you like it or I like it. True story. A wife was at Christmas, and a bunch of the family noticed that she always cut exactly 75 millimeters off the end of the turkey at Christmas and tossed it. And one day somebody said, well, the husband said, why do you do that? And he said, well, mum always did. So he gets on the phone and calls mother, and he says, is this really true that you used to cut 75 millimeters off the chicken, off the turkey at Christmas? He said, sure I did. He goes, why would you do that? And the mother says, well, the pan was too short, so he always cut 75 millimeters off. And so they just carried on doing it for no reason at all, which was really crazy. The pan was too short. Jesus said in Mark 7, 8, you ignore God's law, now look at this carefully, and you substitute your own traditions. Wow. So you ignore the real deal, and you substitute it with something that looks kind of similar but it's not based on the fact. Think about the biblical example about that, about Peter sitting there on the rooftop having a, a mid-afternoon Sunday or Saturday siesta in that case. But do you notice there 
His traditions were so strong they overruled the voice of God. His personal biases overruled God's will. Be careful of that, Christian. Peter was trying to be scrupulous, but it was beyond the will of God. What he, was, he was overextending it to his traditions. His intentions were good, but the problem is good intentions aren't good enough. He was actually being disobedient to the voice of God by listening to his traditions, the way we've always done it, the way I've always thought it should be done, rather than to what God said. The third faulty authority is human reason. Now, at first you go, what? What's wrong with human reason? That sounds reasonable, right? You know, that, that authority goes, well, I've always thought. That's the wrong way to go. The right first question is not, what do I think? The, the right first question is, God, what do you think? That's the right first question. Not, well, I've always thought this. There's a way that seems right to man, says Proverbs 16, 25, but in the end, it leads to death. See, it seems right, but it's wrong. So it's not what I think, it's God, what do you think? That's my authority. Now, the most commonly relied authority today, though, in New Zealand, all over the place, would have to be personal feelings. How I feel rules the roost. I believe it because I feel it. There's an old Brian Adams song. How can it be so wrong when it feels what? So right. You've all listened to that song, obviously. <laughs> How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? It's not hard to see the problem with that ridiculous philosophy. I've heard this sadly many times. I felt like God wanted me to dot, 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 dot. You fill in the blanks. And it's ended in disaster. Well, the problem is, folks, if it's contrary to word, God's word, what you're feeling, it's always wrong, always wrong, regardless of how you feel. Second, today, many people are being fooled by following their feelings instead of the clear commands of scripture and the bible says this and uh, underlines this principle in judges chapter 21 verse 25 everyone did what was right in their own eyes that's a recipe for disaster and as a consequence people do their own thing and therefore there are no absolutes there is no higher authority for those people than themselves they need to answer to they think, it's just me. I'm the one that I have to answer to, nobody else. Now, I want to suggest on the other hand now, after those four unreliable authorities, there's only one completely reliable authority, and that is God's word. That is the only one. Chuck out all your other books. This is the only one. They're only about this book. And by the way, when you read the scriptures, don't be seduced into just reading all the stuff in the commentaries and the notes. Because if you're not careful, you read all the notes and not read the Bible. Be careful about that. 2 Timothy 3.16, the whole Bible, that's Genesis through to Revelation, was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to do four things. What are they? One, teaches what is true. 
what's, and what's true, anything opposed to what's true is false. So how do you know what's true? Where's the plumb line? When Robert and I work in my our house, we had everything from lasers to lines to levels and everything. How do you figure out what's straight? What's true is in this book. Everything opposed to what's in this book is false. The Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and thereby to help us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out rather than crooked and helps us to do what is right for things. In God's, it's God's way of making us, here's the point, well prepared at every point. Now notice, the Bible claims to be authoritative in four specific areas. Teaching, reproof, we all need both of these things. Correction and for training in righteousness. Now that's the starting point for every Christian. And if you don't do anything else today, Settle this, that I am going to, as an act of my will, accept the Bible as my final authority for every issue in my life. Not, not, don't ever fall into this one. Well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. That's syncretism. Picking and choosing. That's what Jefferson did. He loved the Bible, but he didn't like miracles. So you know what he did? He took an exacto knife and he cut out all the miracles in the Bible. Every single one of them. That's a fact, a historical fact. Those of you who've done history know that. That's flawed. That's like your kids that listen to what they, uh, what they want to hear but ignore the stuff that they don't want to hear, right? So it doesn't matter how you feel or I feel or how everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter what the culture or tradition try to dictate. The question, the first and primary question, is what does God say as revealed in the scriptures? You cannot get away from that. And as John said here, John Lennox, you cannot learn what are in the scriptures with a five-minute commitment to that. Imagine you say, honey, I really love you, but um, look, I'm kind of really busy in my life, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you five minutes sometime. And maybe not even today, maybe even now and again. I would be deluding myself if I'd said that relationship was healthy. So when you settle the authority question in your life, then you set the platform for being transformed by God's word and through the power of his spirit. And it will make a huge, huge, huge difference. All the psychology in the world will not help you like the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I have seen drunks completely restored from being absolute derelicts to being stellar members and leaders of their family. I have seen drug addicts. I have seen homosexuals. I, you name it all the way along the line. I've seen philanderers drop all that, being transformed inside, not because they had to, because they wanted to. Jesus Christ changed them from the inside out. Now, it makes an enormous difference. Here's a tremendous resource which I have personally been through. Next slide. 
This is part of a true use series put out by Focus on the Family. And this gets it, is the Bible reliable? And it builds a historical case. Most Christians completely have got no idea how to defend the fact that, well, you know, the Bible's written by men, right? Isn't that right, Martin? The Bible's written by men. Uh, fact number one. Fact number two, men are fallible, right? Yeah. So therefore, it concludes that the Bible is fallible. This gives you a historical case. It's set at a university context, but very, very, very accessible. If you have not ever sat down through that, and you can get it through Right Now Media, you should be listening to that, because it's, that argument's going to come up. The Bible is unreliable. This will give you some tools to defend that. And it's freely available to those of you in New Hope Church through, true, uh, through Right Now Media. The Bible says that every word of God, I love this, every word of God is what? What is it? Flawless, without error. So I must first accept its authority. Once I've settled an issue, then we come to the second point. Now, to be conformed by God's will and God's word, here's a very important point. I must assimilate its truths. Assimilate its truths. A Did you notice on John's, on John's video, the word was, what was on the front of his Bible? Pardon? Speak up. Read me. What was it written in? dust. A closed Bible is worthless. It's no good gathering dust in a drawer or on a table. It must be received into your life to transform you. It must be assimilated, the truths, the points, the principles, and the lessons. Now, God's tran word transform me when, number one, I receive God's word. I receive it. Now, many people came out to listen to this guy, Jesus, wandering around the Galilean hills up there. And they came to listen to his words. Many of them even believed what he said. But they never got around to doing anything about it. Luke 8 and 13, talking about the parable of sowing the seed. Luke 18, those that fell on the rock are the ones who received the word with joy. So they were, oh yeah, don't, not, not, not hesitant about it. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Bring it on, bring it on. But when they hear it, they have no roots. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, the time of temptation, the time of inconvenience, the time that disrupts your comfort, then they fall away. That can be a week, that can be 10 years, that can be 40 years. Temptation, trials, discouragement, disappointment, despair, and they fall away. Then on verse 18, this is a really good verse. Therefore, so the Pope's, he's saying, learn from this. Consider carefully how you listen. How? How are you listening? Do you have an expectant heart? I was saying to our small group the other day, when you, when, it doesn't matter whether you're listening to a message or you're reading the Word in the morning, do you come with an attitude, God, what do you want me to do as a result of you speaking to me today? 
or do you just want to become informed? Do you want to become informed or do you become transformed? Your attitude is a critical factor. The rocky soil people only accept the words and the facts of the word mentally, but they effectively reject it because they never apply it. Or it's a half-baked commitment to apply it. It's, well, I'll apply if it doesn't impinge upon my lifestyle too much or my, it's going to get me in trouble. Or it threatens my security. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, welcome to the world of Christianity. Your Christianity, it is not a road up, 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 up. You step down into greatness in the kingdom of God. Jesus stepped down into servanthood. That's the true gospel. Anything that promises you fame and all that sort of stuff, it's the wrong gospel. Now, God wants us to receive. Now, that's the word dikamai in Greek. And I really use the Greek. But I want to tell you what that word means. It's like, come on over. Come on over for lunch. You, Robert, come on over for lunch. <laughs> that's what it means. Welcome them in. In hospitality. You're welcome. You're glad to have them. In the same way, God wants us to welcome the word. Come on in. I want to. There's that warm openness. Not, oh, I can't wait till this guy goes. <laughs> I've done my duty. Now, the word listen there, it, it, it's listening to God's word with an open attitude, a teachable. It's more than just hearing. Do you know what? Is it possible to listen without hearing? Is it? Absolutely. Some of you right now, you're a hundred clicks away. You're listening, but you're a hundred clicks away. Hebrews 2.1 underlines exactly the same principle. We must pay more careful attention. You think you've been careful before? Well, that's there. You need to move it up here. More careful attention to what we've heard so that we may not, what does it say? Drift away. The problem with drifting is you're often unconscious of it. Now, I know this is going to bend some of your minds, but there was a day when we used to have a little box like this, and you used to have two things stuck out the top. They were called aerials. And very often on a TV, you couldn't quite get a good reception. So you had to go up to the thing, and you had to tune. There were two knobs that helped you. What were they? Somebody said it. Vertical hold and horizontal hold. I get away and the lines would go this way and the other ones would go this way. You'd tune them to, oh, there's a clear picture. And to get good reception, if you're not getting good reception in your Bible study right now, check your horizontal hold. How are your horizontal relationships going? How, are you, how is the vertical one going? Do you have a good attitude towards that? Poor relationships create poor reception. How can a man say he loves God yet he hates his brother? John's flat out, you're lying. So you need to be clear about that. I need to get both vertical hold and horizontal hold. Sweet, to get, and then I'll be more receptive. Get them in order. Is there something that's happening at work, in your family, that you know you need to put right, but you've been avoiding it? Horizontal hold. God's word says again, I want to go back to the scripture, Hebrews 2, 1, we must pay more careful attention. Don't be careless. 
care more, careful, full of care about the way we listen to God's word. It's kind of like, sometimes it's very easy if there's a lot of noise going wrong around just to kind of tune a bunch of stuff out. But if all of a sudden the phone rang and it was a queen on the phone, you'd be, there'd be a whole different level of attention given to that phone call, right? Or the boss. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. Not talks, but anchored firmly in God's word. Why? Because, this is why, we forget 95% of what we hear within 72 hours. That's a sad statistic, unless you write things down. Now, how many of you find it easy to forget? Anybody here? Apart from me? (laughs) Right. So, after 45 years on the road on this one, for me, and I think it's biblically based, I found the best way to pay attention is to do something like this. Take notes. This is my Bible study that I share with my wife every week. Every week on Friday, I sit down and we look at what I can't remember what I've done in detail unless I write them down. So if you take notes, that's what the scriptures say. Write down what I have said to you so you may run with it. Write it down. Now you can tell people are getting interested when they start to take notes. How can you actually tell, though, they're being cha- uh, that they're receiving the word of God, which is this point? How can you tell when a person is receiving the word of God? Here it is. Lives and attitudes are changed. They may have had a, a very stinky attitude Woo! over here, and you can smell it when they come in the door. When God starts to move in that area because they're applying God's word by the power of his spirit to their life, their attitude will change. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number daily. They heard his message, Peter's message, and they took action that day. It wasn't, oh, well, I don't feel mature enough. They got on that day. They acted on what they'd heard. Acts 2.41. So if I want to be transformed, I must receive God's word with an eager attitude. So question, out the side, how's my eagerness to hear God's word on a scale of one to five? Just, you may want to rate yourself. That's between you and God. Second way God's word lives in my life is when I read God's word. The Bible says when I read God's word, happy is the one who reads this book. Happy is the one who reads this book. Friends, for 1,450 years, only the priests had this book. And it used to be chained here to the pulpit. It used to be chained. Bibles weren't readily available. But God used a man called Willem Gutenberg, his his invention, to print the first Bible. And when the Bible got into the hands of the common people, a whole movement started. It was called the Reformation. And today, the main reason people don't understand the Bible is they never read it. Some Christians are far more faithful to the news channels, to the news that flows through their iPhone or their Android, or to the sports page than God's Word. Some Christians won't think of a thing about consuming media for three hours a day. But then they'd think it's okay to read the Bible for three minutes. There is something very wrong, in fact, fundamentally flawed 
and self-deceiving about that type of way it's being lived. And then they expect to have good spiritual understanding or they expect to grow. Many studies reveal that spiritual strength is directly related to engagement in God's word. Do you know you can read through the whole Bible in a year easily? I'm not suggesting you do. I'm not suggesting you do, but you can. If you read 12 and a half minutes a day, it would only take you 76 hours to read the entire Bible. 12 and a half minutes. Have you got that? 12 and a half minutes. And by the way, when I'm cutting my hedge, which is a four-hour job, I've got things in my ears underneath my earphones all the time while I've got a yelling hedge trimmer in the other hand. So every time I'm either mowing lawn, gardening, or doing something else, walking, I've got something going into my brain based on God's word. If you cut out one TV program of just a 30-minute one every night, you'd read through the entire Bible twice a year, just 30 minutes, taking it away from the TV because there's big old good value on the TV. So question, why do we spend more time reading and looking at stuff that we don't really believe to be eternally valuable and true than, we're, than spending time on things that we do believe? People say, I believe in God. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. Well, sometimes I'm amazed what people have actually never read it from cover to cover. So how could you say that with integrity in your heart? So here's my challenge to you. What's your plan for 21? What is your plan? Write something down. What is your plan for 21? Because here we are. We're all with you on our way back to Christmas. And we're over halfway through. If you want something to be different from back there and you want to grow, you've got to do something different. What is your plan? That's not for me to inspect that. It's up to you. I want to, with the heart of moving you forward, wherever you are, it doesn't matter whether you're here or there or there, what is your next plan to take one step in that direction? What is your plan? It's a good question. If you're stuck for a reading plan, let me know on your communication card. The third way God, uh, God's word lives in my life, it lives in my life, and it will transform me, is when I research God's word. When I research it. Not just a quick oh, lick and a flick, lickety-flick, that's it. When I research it. If it's important to I, Look, when I go buy something, I research the pants off it. Maybe, maybe some of you are the same. I look at this way, that way, check that, check that review, check, talk to people who've used it. Sometimes I'll take six months to research something if it's important to me. Well, in eternal things, how important is that? Happy are those who reject the advice of evil men. Instead, they find joy in obeying. Notice that word, obeying the law of the Lord, and they study it. Day and night. Now, there's a difference between reading and studying. And here's it is. When you study, you use a pen and paper and you take notes. You really haven't studied unless you make notes. You're just reading. In fact, when I was at university, uh, actually in my doctoral program in the United States, sometimes we'd have people come in and they'd do something called audit the course. You know what that means? They'd come in, they'd sit just like you guys, you know, and they'd be, you know, and they'd be sitting there and they'd be sitting back like this. Not looking at anybody that's doing that right now, but they'd do that. And then they'd come and, you know, they'd pay a nominal amount and they'd show up for the lecture, but there's no exams, there were no projects for them to do, 
and they would just hear us. Friends, you haven't really studied the word unless you make notes. You're just reading it. Think about making that distinction in your life from this day forward. The fact is, though, anybody, anybody can learn to study the Bible. And we taught on, in depth on this on 40 days in the Word. And by the way, we've talked about this before. This book here will give you a very balanced, of all the books I know, this is the best one I know, and I've read a lot of books, to help you read the Bible and not make crazy mistakes. When you read the Bible, and then you interpret it, and then you apply it. Just ask some of your friends if they haven't read it. This is a, a brilliant book to read. He's also got another book, Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. Uh, it's called um, How to Read the Bible Book by Book. But that's another deal. This is the most important. This one here. The secret is all about how to ask questions and engaging. So remember, study. You can, here's another mistake. Study without application leads to stagnation. If you ever come to a place in your Christian life that you feel stagnated, not going anywhere, ask yourself, what was the last thing the Lord told you to do and have you done it? And one of the best ways to make sure that doesn't happen is get involved in a small group where you can interact, share, and together as a team, you're encouraged to apply the Word of God. And, and it's not just that, to do ministry together as a small group, to do evangelism together as a small group. It's all good about talking, but what about doing? Now, at New Hope, we have three study group styles. The first one is a discussion based on uh, messages. And in our group, sometimes we do that in our small group, which is a message application guide. The second one, and there are thousands of these ones, are the right now media. If you are a member of our church, and you haven't accessed it, you are missing out on the Netflix for Christians. It's got great kid stuff to put into your children. It's got great stuff to answer the hard questions of life that teenagers and often people ask. Brilliant. And then the third type is an in-depth type of study, and this is foundations. How many of you have not done foundations? Can I see hands? Not done it? Okay. I would, it is a recommended core, core course at New Hope. That'll be offered in a small group again soon. If you're interested in that, please write it on your, on, your, on your communication card. Now, my desire is that New Hope family will develop a habit of studying the Bible, a habit, where people know what God's Word says, they know what it means, and they know how to apply it in their lives. And therefore, it will produce a changed life and a transformed life. Fourth. God's word lives in my life and transforms me when I remember God's word. Remember it. Colossians 3.16 says, remember. Remember what Christ taught and let his word enrich your lives and make you wise. Nothing will do more for you than memorizing scripture. There is at least six positive benefits that it will help you with. Number one, it will help you overcome temptation. Thy word I have hidden thy heart, that it may not sin against thee, right? You'll get confidence in witnessing, victory over worry. It'll strengthen your prayer life. It'll help prevent depression. And it's very useful in counseling others. Psalm 
119 verse 11, which is what I just quoted. I have hidden your word. That means remembered. I have remembered your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And that was the, Jesus, when he was tempted, quoted that scripture as our sword, our offensive weapon. Now, some people have an excuse, well, I can't remember anything. Well, here's what I would suggest to you. You're probably too distracted. Most of us can remember what's important to us. There was a time when we could remember phone numbers through up the wazoo. Up the wazoo. Now, because we have iPhones, we just say, hey, we might not say it because it'll probably call it. To my personal assistant, please call, and it'll just call. I don't have to remember the numbers anymore. Do you remember those days? In Howick, we actually used to have very short digits, like 7668M, and it had two long buzzers, and S's had three. So it was really crazy, but we remember them all. We even used to remember registration plates. The real question is, what's important to us? Is it important enough? Do I value God's word enough? Here's a, here's a great verse to memorize. You could spend a long time on this. Romans 12, 12. It says, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. What's God's words for me? What's God's will for me? Right there. That's God's will right there in black and white. I don't know what God's will is. Friend, if you're asking that today, there it is there. That's one example of God's will for you, which will never, ever, 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 ever change. I have a couple of suggestions. Number one, start with a verse a week. Just a short one. And as you nourish on it and you chew it over, use cards. Keep them for review. I used to stick them in my visor. Flop down at the lights. Quick reread. Back up. Now, if you're really brave, if you really want to get serious, here's an easy way I found to get dead serious. It qualifies me whether I'm serious or I'm just talking the talk. Honey, on Friday, I'm going to tell you what I learned, and you're going to check me. It needs to be word perfect. I'm going to give it to her. That tells me whether I'm serious about that. Because you know what? By ourselves, sometimes, we lack that accountability. And your spouse will be cheering for you. And you can do vice versa. Finally, God's word lives in my life and transforms me. When I reflect on God's word. Reflect. Next verse. 2 Timothy 2.7. What I'd like us to do in this one is I'd like us to read this together out loud. Okay, let's read it. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into... Reflect. Now, this goes a step beyond memorizing. This is what we would call meditation. And it is not this, woo, sit with your knees crossed and mum, mum, mum. That is not Christian meditation. But don't let them hijack it. Like some people have hijacked the rainbow. That's ours, baby. Don't ever be intimidated by that. So meditation is seriously thinking about the meaning of a verse, not just floating along the top. What does this verse mean to me? It means thought digestion. And some of you say, oh, I don't know how to do that. Really? Well, here's the deal. Do you know how to worry? 
If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. That's just negative meditation going over and over and over so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Christian meditation is taking the truth of God's word, which never changes, and going over and over and over and over and over so the real estate gets bigger and the problem gets smaller and gets put in correct perspective because that's all it is. It needs to be put in perspective. How do you apply a scripture to your life? Beneath every story in the Bible, there is a timeless principle. A timeless principle. So you read the story, and you ask, what did it mean then? And then you build an application bridge, which is the principle, and then you apply it today. That's what it means for me today. It's very simple. First comes the interpretation over here. What did it mean then? You have to think about that and dig it a little. Second, what is the application? In other words, what's the principle that was going on there? And then thirdly, the personalization. What does this mean for me today? What does, how does that inform my behavior? Joshua 1.8 says this, Do not let this book of the law, he's talking about the Bible, depart from your mouth. Are you talking about it? around your life. That's a good metric. It's an index. If you had a Bible index, not that you should all the time be talking the Bible, but the principles, concentrate on those things which promote harmony. Concentrate, think about those things which are good and wholesome and of good repute. They're in there. They're not on Facebook. Do not let this book of the law, the Bible, depart from your mouth. Meditate upon it. Over and over and over and over, day and night. Reflect on it. Seriously, think about it. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. The trouble is, we sometimes think quantity. Quantity, yeah. Sometimes I like it like this. Sometimes I have fast food. I just quit and go, quit and go, quit and go. Sometimes I want to have a banquet. <laughs> How does God's word live in my life and transform me? One, I absolutely must accept its authority or it won't have any effect. Two, I must assimilate its truth in five ways. By receiving it, by reading it, by researching it, by remembering it and reflecting on it. And third, I must be a doer of God's word. Dion Moody was a very famous theologian, started Moody Bible College. And I love his quote. He says this, The Bible was not given to increase knowledge, but to change our life. Some people think the idea is just an accumulation of facts. I know some people who are veritable storehouses of information, but their marriages are like hell. It means nothing. And by the way, the scriptures say, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you have love, it means zero. Some people get off on that. They can tell you every jot and tittle. The lawyers in the Old Testament could do that, and in the New Testament could do that. But Jesus said, ah, you missed the most important things. So the ultimate goal of reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Bible is application I must act on what I know that's what changes you to be more like Christ and if you want a super sobering parable 
that Jesus gave about this, you need to read Matthew 7. It will shock you. That's why every Sunday I don't stand up here and tell you who is going to be riding the red horse in the book of Revelation. Or the history of the Jebusites. But what I do say is, what does this mean today? How can you take this and act on it? And I've only got 30, 40 minutes to talk to you about the most important part. What's it going to do in my life and how is that going to change me? John 13, 17. Once you know these things, so knowledge is important. You will be blessed if you do them. And then just as a thought, just because we know something doesn't mean to say we're doing it, right? And you're acting on it. Now, James 1, 22, this is the key phrase, the, the pinnacle of the book of James. James 1, cha- uh, James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's what James says. He's saying here, to hear without doing is self-deception. And it's describing two types of Christians that were back then in the New Testament. The forgetful hearers and the effectual doers. And it's the same today. We have forgetful hearers and we have some that are effectual doers. Now the question is, What has God already told you that you need to start taking action on? Because everybody in this room and listening to this knows more than we're acting on. We need to be doers of the word because, why? Because knowledge increases accountability. And God wants every Christian to grow and to be transformed into the image of his son. And some of you have heard the spirit of God speak to you today. But others are saying, well, that's all good stuff. I can't find any fault in that because it's in the scriptures. But I already know all of that. That's another attitude that can come out. Really? I've got a great verse for you. Hebrews 5.11. We have so much to say to you about this, but it's hard to explain because you were slow to learn. In fact, though by this time in your life, I put the words in your life in there, you ought to be teachers but you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. So one of the hallmarks there of maturity is this. I start teaching others. That's one of the hallmarks of maturity right there. By now, you should be teaching. What are you doing? Let's evaluate this. How mature am I? Do I need to review these things again? Or am I I already starting to teach these things to somebody else? It could be one other person that you have a coffee with. Who are you investing the deposit that God has given to you and encouraging him in this direction from the scriptures? I'm not just talking shooting the breeze. I'm talking application of God's word to their relationships, their challenges, and their problems in this life. Because the Bible says... Jesus felt compassion on them because they were confused. Like sheep without a shepherd, they were hopeless, they were depressed, they lost their way. So I want you to consider making 
three commitments. I want to challenge you with three things as we close. Things that you can actually act upon. Doers of the word. Number one. Will I accept, will you accept God's word as the final authority in your life? Be careful how you answer that. Settle that issue. Because every serious Christian will choose God's word over the world's pull. What everybody else is saying out there. And when I'm wondering, well, what should I say or what should I do? I'm not going to say, well, I feel, no, no, no. Or what I think is, no, 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 no. Or whatever else is doing is da, 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 da. But I'm going to say, what does the Bible say? What does God say on this? And get real clear on that. You don't know? That's fine. Dive in and dive in and dive in. And if you can't find out, talk to your small group leader. If you can't find that, come and talk to me. I'll help you if I can. What about those parts I don't understand, Pastor Ian? Well, a lot of times it's not what we don't understand that bothers us. It's what we don't want to when we don't want to understand it. Sometimes when a person says, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. This is quite an effective way to do this, if you allow me to do so. I'll pull up a scripture, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, I'll give it to the person and say, here, would you please read this? And they read it out aloud. And I, I just ask one question. What do you think that means to you? And they go, <laughs> shock and horror, the exact right thing. I shouldn't do this. Okay. So that's part of helping people, teaching people. What does this, I'm not telling them, I'm saying, what does this mean to you? And by the, they're convicted by their own, they know what's right. But God's truth highlights to people the right thing and the wrong thing to do. Mark Twain once said, the problem I have with the Bible, he wasn't a Christian, is not the parts I don't understand. The problem I have with the Bible is the parts I do, I do understand and I know I ought to be doing. He tried to live like one though. Number two, my second challenge, will I begin a program or regular intake of God's word? Well, let me be frank, will you be distracted by other second-class things, other second-class sources of authority? Will you learn to read it? Will you commit to research it or memorize it? Maybe you start off with something, but something's a step forward. Reflect on it. You know what? Here's another benefit. When you do this, when you share with your partner, your wife, by the way, mine's a wife, but using the vernacular of this world, when you share with your wife a scripture that's really important to you, not just one that's just because, one that's important to you, it brings you closer emotionally. You, some of you guys sometimes are wondering why you're not emotionally close to your wives. You have to learn to share your heart, not just as an academic exercise. Number three, Will you join a small group where you can share or even potentially teach and learn insights from others? It's absolutely essential. Can I commend to you, be doers of the word. Let's pray. Have you sensed today the Holy Spirit nudge you to be a doer of his word? Would you say today, God, I accept your scriptures, your Bible, as the ultimate authority in my life? 
What it says, I will do to the best of my knowledge because, Lord, your word also says to know to do the right thing and to do it not as a sin. God, I want to get regular intakes of your word. Would you put within me by your spirit a desire to memorize your word? Help me to learn it and to study it. Would you commit yourself to be part of a small group where you can really get serious about being a regular part of God's family and with God. Some of you ought to be teachers. The fastest way to grow is to start. Start teaching. doesn't need to be perfection. He needs availability and a humble heart, an engagement with his word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for these people And I thank you that they love you and your word as evidenced by the fact they come here each week, week after week, as we look at your word together and how to apply it. We thank you that your word is practical, it is relevant, it applies to our words, it strengthens us up. Would you speak to each of us in a way that we need individual direction? May your word and your spirit transform us into your son's image, Lord. Maybe some of you here this morning, you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You can do that today, right now. The best way to understand the Bible is to get to know the author first. Why wouldn't you just say in your mind, Jesus Christ, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life, make me a new person. Help me to understand you more and to live for you. Heavenly Father, Make us doers of your word by the power of your spirit. Thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you that it's not just for the professional clergy that the word is for, but all of us have access to it now. Help us to take advantage of that for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you have opened your heart to Christ, would you let us know about that in the communication card? Or if you'd like to join a small group, let us know. And or if you'd like to join the Fresh Start class that we have that runs here up in, this, uh, up in the staff room after the service, after most services, would you also let us know which teaches about the fundamental